Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris. It's good to be back with you again today. It has been a while since my last podcast. In the previous podcast, I mentioned that I've been doing a uh, a project that has been taking a lot of my time and I'm continuing to do that. I will announce it on this podcast maybe, I'm thinking, two, three months, hopefully, uh, but I'm super excited about it, but it is keeping me quite busy. So the AI thing and Bible prophecy, I think there's two parts to this. The first is sort of what I'm hearing from a lot of people about how they think that AI will factor into the end time scenario. And then the second part is, since I will sort of disagree with a lot of that, I am going to say how I think AI will play a role in the end times scenario. So there are a lot of different views that I'm hearing on this, but it seems like the to cover as many of them as possible, uh, the idea is that AI will become either the Antichrist, the false prophet, or the image of the beast. One of those three players in Revelation 13. I think the calculus goes something like this, that AI is going to become super powerful and have almost godlike properties. Therefore, why not have it be worshipped or be one of these particular uh, things? So, as I'll argue, while I don't think that AI will be either the Antichrist, the false prophet, or the image of the beast, of those three, I think that the best argument could be made for the image of the beast. I feel like that the problem it, that AI supposedly solves is at least meritorious there, um, and the arguments against it are less good. So let me explain what I mean. I think with the Antichrist, you have problems against it on one side, which is that we have so much information about the Antichrist, both in the Old Testament and the New, that consistently he is spoken of as a man. It would be very difficult to say, oh, by the way, he's not really a man, he's a computer program. Uh, I feel like you could just prove that over and over again if just by the way that the Bible speaks of him as a man. And then, so there's the cons with the Antichrist. The pros would be, well, what problem would AI being inserted into that paradigm solve? And it solves a problem that I don't think needs to be solved, which is that the resurrection of the Antichrist. Some people have tremendous problems with the idea that the Antichrist is consistently spoken of as being resurrected from the dead in the book of Revelation. And I would argue also at the end of Daniel is implied, Daniel uh, 11 into 12.1. But it, it doesn't really matter because I believe 2 Thessalonians 2, the great delusion, which happens just before the, the or around the midpoint that God sends on the earth dwellers so that they will be uh, believe the lie is that moment. I believe the resurrection of the Antichrist happens just before the abomination of desolation, which I mean that if you plug that into either Daniel 12, 1 or the end of 11 to 12, 1 or second Thessalonians 2 or Revelation uh, 13 or all of these, it, it really does fit. But I digress. I've talked about that at length other places. So I don't have a problem with the Antichrist really resurrecting from the dead. It's not fake. But I could see how somebody, if somebody did have a problem with that or thought they were stuck trying to figure out how Satan could raise the dead, then they would like to be able to insert AI there. You know, the idea, I guess, would be that the Antichrist really wasn't a human after all. He was just a computer and, you know, he tricks everybody by getting shot in the head, but you know, they just turned him off and turned him on again and everybody worships him. I just don't think 
that I just don't see that as being even necessary, especially with the insurmountable problems of the way the Bible speaks of them. Now, with a false prophet, you have problems and uh, benefits as well. I think the problems, and, and with the false prophet, of course, we have much less information. I do think the false prophet is also spoken of as a man, although, again, we have less information than that. So less negative things. I would say what the false prophet is doing, you know, he's calling fire down from heaven in the presence of men. Uh, He is performing great signs and wonders. He's deceiving those people, uh, you know, in the presence of the beast. He's making the image of the beast. So I I would say, again, maybe, I guess, but... I, I don't see this in the context of, I mean, it just seems like it's way better and makes much more sense if the false prophet is an Elijah figure who every Messiah needs, right? I mean, calling fire down from heaven is what Elijah did. Every single Jew is waiting on Elijah in order to announce who the Messiah is. We're calling them false Christ. That means false Messiah. I mean, it seems like, this is, I saw somebody write this on Reddit the other day about, hey, you know, I was thinking about how the false prophet calls fire down from heaven like Elijah did. It seems like that would be a great, uh, you know, candidate for the false prophet. As a, that is to say, somebody pretending to be Elijah. I don't even think you have to take my theory that I wrote about in the book False Christ in order to understand that. But in other words, I just, with the false prophet, I just see no reason for it. I think that the problem that they think it solves with the false prophet is very loosey-goosey. Uh, I think this uh, Harari, whatever his name is, Noah Harari, said at one point that he believed that AI could write a Bible or something like that, and it would write new scriptures in the future, and I think that that's where I mostly saw claims that AI was going to be the false prophet, because it was going to write new scriptures, and people were going to you know, worship it because it wrote good scriptures. I mean, that's a good sci-fi plot, maybe, but I just don't see how that fits into anything. I mean, that's sort of like setting up a whole new thing. But I guess, again, it makes sense, I believe, in the common way that people understand the end times, that some guy's just going to come out of nowhere, and he's just going to be very human, secular, you know, they, they still believe that the Antichrist is going to be some kind of secular human savant, you know, with no real doctrine and that AI is going to write the scriptures. So I get, I get where they're coming from. It's just because that paradigm is so far from where I am or how I see it happening, um, that I just don't, I don't believe that that's what the Bible is talking about. And I don't think that is the best way to understand these passages in Revelation 13 about him calling fire down from heaven. That just doesn't, doesn't seem like that's what you would say if you were saying, ah, it's really going to be a computer program. With the image of the beast, let me read what it says, uh, starting in verse 14. And he, that is the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, I would say here that my uh, personal view of the image of the beast is pretty straightforward, which is to say that this is an, uh, a, um, an attempt of the Antichrist to have someone sit in the temple and receive worship, because that is what Jesus will really do. Except the Antichrist is limited because he is not God, and yet he needs to fulfill these scriptures. So he needs to have somebody sit in the temple and receive worship that is him, you know, in his image, if you will. But he, as a man, needs to go out and do things and 
other things. So when Jesus does this in the millennium, he sits in the temple, he receives the worship of the world. People come from all over the place bringing gifts. I mean, read Isaiah, Ezekiel, etc., etc. I'm sorry if you don't believe that, but that's what it says is going to happen in the actual millennium. And Satan knows that. He's trying to uh, fulfill these scriptures in a very human way. This also has the secondary benefit for him, or rather Satan, in that I believe Satan is going to be the one that receives the worship because that's what Satan has wanted from the, for the whole time. You know, bow down and worship me, et cetera, et cetera. So Satan's getting the worship. The Antichrist gets to run out and, and enjoy his short time. That's how I see what's happening here. I don't see any reason. But the problem, I, I suppose, that someone would say that could be solved here by AI is that the image of the beast is coming alive. You know, the false prophet gives breath to the image of the beast. And so I guess they would say that the breath and that the Bible is speaking of the image of the beast coming alive, like AI getting, you know, artificial general intelligence, which I have a hard time believing that the Bible puts its stamp on approval, stamp of approval on AGI and says, this really is life. And this is really considered breath. I mean, so you've got problems with that, in my opinion. I haven't done a, a full workup on my problems with this, but I just don't see it as necessary, let alone what the text is saying. Again, I think this is mostly based on, on people's um, already wrong presuppositions about how they think it's going to come out. And therefore, the various problems that their view causes, they believe that AI can solve those problems so they don't have to change their views. And I think in this case, and I'll, I'll readily admit, I have no idea in what way the image of the beast will be given life, except if Satan's indwelling it, which Satan is a, a thinking being with his own free will. So I'm assuming if if Satan enters it in some way, in my theory anyway, that I think that that solves the problem. So I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not doing similar things that I'm accusing other people of, but I just think it's a better explanation and more uh, coherent than some of these others. All right, so how do I think that AI could play a role in Bible prophecy, if not any of those things? And I should preface this by saying I'm not exactly sure that this fits in Bible prophecy, but I think it could make sense of some of the problems that I have. For example, in Revelation uh, 9, verse 6, where it says, and in those days, this is in the fifth trumpet right after the uh, torment for five months where the uh, demon-like scorpions were stinging people with their tails. It says, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. I think this and perhaps uh, the beheadings that we see as the sort of primary execution mode in uh, the book of Revelation is speaks to the same thing. That somehow or another, we m people figure out how to stop the aging process or perhaps even reverse it. That sounded like science fiction until literally this year, at least for me. What I mean is that I've been following AI news very closely, mostly just out of pure interest for what it can do and, you know, that kind of thing. But because I'm following it so closely, I see what other people are saying about it. And longevity research, like the billionaires are out there right now. I mean, pretty much every major billionaire that's like... Um, you know, vocal about AI is sure that they're going to figure out immortality or at least some sort of major longevity breakthrough, if not age reversing or being able to arrest it, is like 
going to happen. And after hearing their reasoning behind it, I kind of think they're right. And I'll go through maybe some of that in a minute, but let's flesh out this with regard to the Bible prophecy thing first. So the reason I said beheading, uh, beheading would be, and if what I'm going to propose later is that the way that AI helps us to achieve mortality, immortality is through a genetic situation, essentially being able to control the epigenome, meaning that it can make sure that the right uh, things in our genome are turned on instead of off like aging would do. And as long as that's happening, then we are not, our cells aren't dying. And so in order to kill us, you couldn't just give a disease or something like that because it wouldn't be killing those cells. So you'd have to cut our, our head if you really wanted to execute us. A few more thoughts from the biblical side. I think this is the natural outgrowth of reversing Babel. So I mean by that, in the book of Genesis, the Tower of Babel story, you have men that were speaking the same language, coming together to build this tower. God says, nothing shall be impossible for them, which, and, and which is why he broke us up with the different languages. And in other words, I think it was a time situation. Like he was saying, this, if they get together now with the same language situation, all of this, they'll destroy themselves way too quickly. And so by separating us with the languages, it just bought us time. And now we've sort of reversed that. We have the internet, we have the English language, which has become sort of the lingua franca the, the, of the world. And we are now doing those things that really aren't impossible for this. And I think that extends all the way up into the very pinnacle of that. If you were to ask the world, if there's one thing, is it space travel to Mars? No. Is it teleportation? No. Is it the holodeck? No. It's immortality. That is it. That is, if you can do that, then you don't need God, right? It is the ultimate bargaining chip of the world. If they can do that, then everything else is second best. I should say at this point, I don't know if what they will do will actually be immortality. I mean, you'd need some long-term tests to know if it really works or there weren't major side effects down the road or whatever. In other words, it may not be possible for man to create immortality, or it may be, I don't know. But my guess is that it would not be. Um, but for all intents and purposes, especially as it will be demonstrated early on, I mean, it might as well be immortality. My hypothesis, although it could go a number of ways, this is just purely a guess, is that the Antichrist uses the promise of immortality as a bargaining chip to worship him. I would not go so far as to say it would be the mark of the beast itself, that is to say the treatment for immortality is the mark of the beast, because I still have the same problems with that that I would have for, you know, during the pandemic, people were saying the vaccine was the mark of the beast. And, you know, it requires your allegiance. Nobody can trick you into getting the mark of the beast or, you know, when you're not looking, you know, give you an injection or give it to you while you're asleep and oh, whoops, you got the mark of the beast. So that's, I don't think the mark of the beast is necessarily the treatment, but I think that it could be, hey, you, another carrot to go on that side. So it may be that he dangles immortality, this treatment, or has access to it or controls it or something like that. And I like that idea because 
in all the different theology, in my view of what the Antichrist's theology, the, well, maybe probably the, the false prophet's theology with regard to the Antichrist, he's going to be trying to sell himself as the fulfillment of these prophecies of the Messiah, of God, of the Old Testament, of all this stuff. And the one great thing that God has on his side for his children, our blessed hope, and is, the, is not the rapture, I know that people say that, our blessed hope is eternal life. And so, and the Bible speaks, the New Testament certainly speaks of our eternal life as the great reason we, we persevere in some cases. I mean, the, the, the light and momentary afflictions uh, don't compare to the weight of glory, that's the, the eternal life that's on the other side. So we persevere because knowing about this eternal life, this great gift. And so the Antichrist really is at a um, deficit and not having a gift like that that he can give for his people. So it's my suspicion that he uses this exclusively for those who choose to follow him. Uh, but it could be that this is something fairly easy to do. That is to say, it's a we all find out it's some combination of drug therapies or something like that. And if you just do this, but I, I seriously doubt it. I expect it to be something much more complicated, like a gene uh, therapy situation. All right, so let's move into talking a little bit about the mechanics of this. The first area where AI is impacting this is with the field of genetics. So I know we've probably heard about the genome being mapped before. And it's an interesting thing about how that was always about a computer power situation. I think it was, I heard the story about Ray Kurzweil, who is sort of the head of whatever, uh, Futurology or something at Google. And he, uh, back when they were first starting to map the genome, he was saying, you know, it would take trillions of years to do it. But he predicted that it would actually end up being done by a certain date because he also predicted that computing power would get better every year. So uh, it was an exponential curve situation that the genome would eventually be mapped. And while we do have a mapped genome, as far as my understanding, it is still woefully not very useful because of a lack of data analysis, basically pattern recognition. Um, and just a better map in general, which now that's sort of all the buzz about this new papers and new things that are being written about that. I, I quite frankly, you know, the, the, the mapping, the gene is one thing. It's really epigenetics that I think the real revolution will, uh, be happening in. So, you know, think of it like this. Epigenetics is sort of the thing that tells the, what genes should be expressed on your DNA strand. So, Say, for example, you this is totally hypothetical that you have like 16 genes that are representing your skin. And as you age, you know, certain ones turn off and that's why your skin looks older. You know, it's whatever. So this your epigenetics would say, no, turn those back on. And so now you have the skin of a young person again. Something like that would be what epigenetics is. And the field of epigenetics and what's happening there, again, it seems to be from hearing what's being discussed in these things, these discussions about this, that it really always is just a math problem or a compute problem. They just need more uh, to feed more data into this thing and it will start to recognize the patterns, etc. So that's one thing that I feel like we're going to, in the very near future, understand way, way, way more about our DNA than we currently do. The second thing that I think is really interesting is the protein creation situation. So there's been some papers out recently about 
the I think Google's which uh, AlphaFold, Rose, TTA Fold have been trained to predict the detailed shapes of natural proteins based solely on their amino acid sequences. Machine learning is a type of art. so proteins are fundamental shapes that make up our entire biology, not just us, like everything in the whole universe is made up of little proteins. And you can think of them as just different shapes. And so what they've got AI doing is predicting, not just predicting shapes of currently known about proteins, but making new shapes for proteins. And the numbers here are absolutely astronomical. I think I heard it described as like the potential number of shapes, of workable, foldable shapes for these proteins are something unbelievably astronomical, like the number of atoms in the universe number. I could have been hearing that wrong or something like that, but based on some of the other numbers I'm seeing, like, and so it's a big data problem and it's a big compute problem. And as, so what the benefit of something like this would be is that if AI starts to, can come up with any number of protein shapes, it can, you can essentially start, so right now you could start, let's coming up with a drug for a, for a disease based on the disease shape (laughs) and say, oh, well, you need something to block that inhibitor right here. So why don't we create a protein that would block it? It will create the size that does it. In other words, you could just create what you wanted instead of like right now, what we do to discover new drugs is go dig up soil in the Amazon and test it against every known, you know, pathogen or something like that. Or so being able to actually make a custom protein is pretty crazy. And that of course seems like it would have all kinds of uses in uh, longevity. And that's the way it's being discussed by people. Something that's not, and I would say, a lot of people in longevity are thinking of it purely as a data thing. So for example, if you inputted everything from PubMed into AI, this massive pattern recognition bot, and everybody's medical records into AI, then you would start to see just in pattern recognition with that data, it would be like, oh, the, the commonalities between people that have these symptoms or that they have this thing, therefore this is true and whatever. In other words, we'll be able to very quickly discover what's wrong with a lot of diseases that we currently have. And so just because there's no way possible in a million trillion years that we would be able to recognize all those patterns uh, by ourselves. And so a lot of people in longevity look at it just as, okay, well, that's what it's mostly going to be a disease solving of our current disease situation. We're going to find new cures. Certainly that in combination with the protein printing. Another thing that is kind of like the protein thing really is AI creating new materials. Let me read from an article. This is from uh, wired Google's DeepMind AI dreamed up 380,000 new materials. Uh, the next challenge is making them. The robotic line cooks were deep in their recipe, toiling away in a room tightly packed with equipment in one corner and articulated arm selected and mixed ingredients, while another slid back and forth on a fixed rack working the ovens. A third was on planting duty, carefully shaking the contents of the crucible onto a dish. 
Uh, Gerbrand Cedar, a material scientist at Berkeley, uh, nodded approvingly as a robotic arm delicately pinched and capped empty plastic vials, an especially tricky task, as one of his favorites uh, to observe. These guys can work all night, Cedar said, giving two of his grad students a wry look. Stoked with ingredients like nickel oxide and lithium carbonate, the facility, called the A-Lab, is designed to make new and interesting materials, especially ones that might be useful for future battery design. The results can be unpredictable. Even a, a human scientist usually gets a new recipe wrong for the first time, so sometimes the robots produce a beautiful powder, other times it's a melted, gluey mess, or it all evaporates and there's nothing left. At that point, the humans would have to make a decision what to do now, Cedar says. The robots are meant to do the same. They analyze what they've made and adjust the recipe and try again and again and again. So while that doesn't have anything to do with longevity necessarily, I do think it could play a role in us developing these new materials, new alloys, new compounds, and all kinds of stuff that can better withstand heat or all this kind of stuff is going to be crazy in the future. Like we're just not dealing with a normal future. I think I'll wrap this up by just talking a bit about the psychology of it all. I am thinking of one of these guys in the longevity sort of billionaire guy has talked about how people would give anything for this, you know, their entire net worths for the possibility of being maybe if not immortal to extend their life, you know, 20, 40 good years would be almost invaluable especially if you think about the existential fear that those in the world have. Um, and not just them, I think that you could offer this to a lot of professing and actual Christians out there and find that that maybe they don't hold their values as much as real, tangible eternal life. You know what I mean? If I mean, at the end of the day, eternal life that we're being offered is what the Bible is saying, this is it. The kingdom of God, your eternal life, you know, focus on that world, not on this world. That's what's more important than this world. But what if you could have that eternal life now? And what if that was being offered to Christians in the end times? I mean, you got to think that would be a pretty powerful tool. So do I see AI playing a role in Bible prophecy? Yes and no. And maybe not, but probably if it is, it's going to be more on the eternal life side and not as we're all going to worship a computer program side, but I guess I'll leave that door open in case, uh, you know, the matrix version of AI or the, uh, Terminator version of AI comes into reality. Maybe that I'll, I'll change my mind at that point. Um, if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Just kidding. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.